This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. We're going to continue with the history of the bass in jazz through the 1930s. The first track we're going to listen to today, it was led by Henry Allen, who was a great trumpet player from the 1930s. Actually, this was a group that was extracted from Fletcher Henderson's orchestra circa 1934. The bass player on the track, his name is Elmer James, replaced John Kirby um, during that year. And this is a small group featuring uh, Henry Allen on trumpet, Buster Bailey on clarinet. It's an excellent recording. Elmer James doesn't play a bass solo, but his bass playing is very strong and really propels the group. And obviously he's been listening to this on Walter Page because the walking style is really good. Pay particular attention to Buster Bailey's clarinet solo. The way he plays his eighth notes really foreshadows bebop style eighth notes. It's very interesting when you hear him play. So let's check out Rug Cutter Swing. the Hawaiian bands were very popular in this country. The Hawaiian bands give us the pedal guitar or steel guitar that was later adopted by many of the country western uh, guitarists in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but really it comes from the Hawaiian bands, the musicians they brought over to the states in the 20s and 30s. One of the most popular of the Hawaiian bands was Andy Iona and his Islanders, featuring a wonderful bassist and guitarist by the name of Sam Cokie. When you hear the band, it's going to sound like um, what we would consider to be country and western music, but again, the sound of the slide guitar comes to us from Hawaii. Let's check out this wonderful track from 1934, and some of you might recognize a Hawaiian war song, Sam Cokie on bass. style of music that was very popular in the mid-30s through the 1950s was called Western Swing. And really all it is is big swing bands from Texas and southern Missouri and Arkansas that were using guitars and fiddles as opposed to full saxophone sections and brass sections. It was still swing music, but the emphasis was a little more on string instruments. One of the most famous and popular of the Western Swing orchestras from this era was Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Now, Bob didn't play anything. All he did was he would sing and he would do hollers. He had a wonderful band. They were immensely popular during this era. Um, We're going to listen to a track called Liza, Pull Down the Shades, and it features his famous bassist, Son Lanford. So check out some Western Swing with Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Oh, 
continue with a very interesting bass player by the name of Candy Candido. Candy Candido and guitarist Oscar Heimel had a very famous duo in the 1930s called Candy and Coco. They also um, were a comedy duo. They were wonderful musicians. Candy um, also did voiceovers for Disney cartoons and briefly worked with Lou Costello after Bud Abbott's death. In 1934, they teamed up with a, a famous singer and pianist by the name of Gene Austin, and they did a few recordings. We're going to listen to Candy and Coco with Gene Austin on piano and Monk Hazel on drums doing the bugle call rag. Candy was a terrific bassist. tell you that these recordings are very difficult to find today. If you have a collection of 78s or know someone who's a musicologist, um, you might have access to some of these. All the recordings we're listening to today and and the previous shows come from this wonderful compilation called How Low Can You Go? It's a uh, compilation that was put out by Dust to Digital Records. They have some other amazing collections of, of rare Roots recordings, and they are painstakingly researched and with wonderful presentations. So check them out on the web. Um, their, their products are, are really, really good. Don Albert was a very popular band leader in San Antonio, Texas. And, and today, you know, nobody really knows that name. But back in the day, he had a very important and popular, what was called a territory band. Um, he would play from as far as Texas all the way up through Iowa, and hence the term territory. What really makes this next track so interesting is the bass player, Jimmy Johnson. If you know anything about the history of jazz and named Buddy Bolden, there's one very famous picture of Bolden taken somewhere about 1904, 1905, and it features him and his group. And if you look at the instrumentation, it features some string instruments as well as brass and woodwind instruments. So it wasn't really a marching or brass band. The young bassist in that picture was Jimmy Johnson from about 19... Uh, I think the picture was taken in 1906. He settled in Texas and was the bass player with Don Albert's group. So what's so amazing about this recording is that Jimmy Johnson, who played with the legendary Buddy Bolden, and there are no recordings of Bolden, comes to us in 1936 playing wonderful walking bass style, modern style. But he originally started with um, this mythical figure, Buddy Bolden, that stories are written about him, and yet we don't have any recordings of his playing. So for me, I find this immensely fascinating. 
to find him on a big band recording in 1936 playing wonderful walking bass. So we're going to listen to Deep Blue Melody, which is a piece that's very much in the Ellington mood style. And check out Jimmy Johnson on walking bass. We're going to end the show with the first of the great modern jazz bassists, and that was Jimmy Blanton. Blanton comes to us from St. Louis, Missouri, and he's the first modern bassist in that he takes the instrument to the next level. Not only was he a master of the walking style, he was a, a terrific soloist and um, showed us the capabilities of the instrument in the hands of a, of a virtuoso. He began playing with Ellington when he was in his early 20s, I believe, probably starting by 1938 or 39. At that time, Ellington also had a regular bassist by the name of Billy Taylor, who was a wonderful bassist. And in the usual Ellington style, he hired this young bassist and for a while carried two bassists until, I guess, Billy Taylor felt that he had enough and he left. For Ellington, having this instrumentalist who was capable of so much more than just playing the bass was like having a new color in an artist's palette. And of course, Ellington used that color very liberally, giving uh, Blanton solo space, writing melodies for him, voicing across the section. And Blanton, for someone so young, played with such authority. And he was a string player um, from an early age. He didn't start on the tuba or any other instrument. So he was a, a very, very fine string player, great soloist, and made some of the great recordings with Ellington from that, we call it the Blanton-Webster years, from about 1938 to 1939 to 1941. Unfortunately, Blanton died very young, but left us with a wonderful body of recordings and really was a blueprint for modern jazz. As bass player. Of course, it comes from the guys in the 20s through Walter Page, who shows us how to walk, and then Jimmy Blanton just takes it to the next level. This next recording we're going to listen to is a very rare homemade recording from a live performance made in California in 1941. Um, it was made on a portable record-making machine, and the records were actually made with, I believe, a thin coating of some kind of acetate or plastic on cardboard. So the Fidelity is not really great, but you can hear Blanton play. And then, unfortunately, about two-thirds away through the recording, the record runs out. This is a spectacular recording. You can hear him clearly walking, and the whole piece is really a bass feature. So let's end this show and this series on jazz bass with the first true modern jazz bassist, the great Jimmy Blanton, with Sepia Panorama, June 1941.
This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia.